desperation and hopelessness. And understanding that is what's going to give it significance. Understanding that's what's going to give it power. It's God's answer that's given for our hopelessness. So here is Isaiah. He's sent into this chaotic, divided mess, and he's bringing these messages of hope, and he approaches King Ahaz, who himself was looking for answers. He was looking for not just personal hope, but he was looking for hope for his people. And Isaiah's message, starting in around chapter 7, he says this. He says, keep calm. Now, this is a guy who's desperate. He's tired. He's fatigued. And Isaiah walks in and goes, hey, you want to hear a message from the Lord? Keep calm. Hold on. Now, are you not seeing the division? Are you not seeing the tension? Are you not seeing the stress? Are you not seeing the outside pressures? And Isaiah says, hold on. Don't worry. He says this, if you stand firm in your faith, then you'll stand firm overall. And if you don't stand firm in your faith, he says you will not stand at all. He looks at King Ahaz, who was a believer in God, and says, listen, you've got to trust God in this moment. Well, that's not helping me with my feeling of hopelessness. He goes, but the strength is in his faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. Remember those things. Therefore, be fully confident in what he's going to do. He says, stand firm, hold on. As the story unfolds, Ahaz doesn't. He absolutely panics. He's like, I, I can't do this. Uh, and so God says, okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a sign. He says, anything. There's nothing too high, nothing too low. He said, you just tell me what you want me to do so that I can give to you a sign. So that you will know in full confidence, so that it can restore your confidence that I am who I am, and I do what I do, I say I'm going to do. He says, just ask, give it to me. And Ahaz refuses. He says, no, I don't want a sign. I want a more plausible way. I want a more reasonable way. I don't want this just wait, hold on, stay calm. I don't need a sign. I know that you're God. I want something more reasonable, more acceptable. I want a more doable way. I want to know what it is that I can do to manufacture what it is I need to get to quickest. And so like us, Ahaz is seduced or he's, he's deceived into believing that God, I need something big. That, that God is only really found in the loud big moments. Everything else in between those loud big moments is, is you and I. I mean, finding joy, meaning, purpose for the everyday is left up to what? Me or outside influences? God only acts in these big moments. And so, God, I need something big. That's apparently not what you're wanting to do because you're telling me to wait. So guess what? I'm going to look to other resources. I'm going to look to other places. I'm going to look to other influences uh, that promise me also some of the things that I need most at the moment. I need something good. I need something fulfilling. I need a fix. And, God, I'm just going to be honest with you. Calm down, trust, wait, hold on, doesn't cut it. Now here's the truth of this. If we're not careful and we're not fully aware, those things that we so quickly seek will begin to represent God. They will begin to become what we run to first. But as we begin to peel the paper back, 
what we realize is that they really look nothing like God. And we're still left empty. We still are left hopeless. When we start choosing our way rather than God's will, when we begin to trust in human glory rather than God's promises, it resulted for them and it results for us in this hopelessness. And this is the backdrop that Isaiah is speaking into. Where he says, hold on. God is working for you. God is working on behalf of you. Ahaz, Jason, Wellhouse. Hope is not going to be found in something you're able to manufacture with trees and music or anything else you want to put on the list. It's found in the confident expectation of what God has already promised. And its strength will be found in his faithfulness. And even though God wasn't completely happy with Ahaz, his lack of trust, he gives him a sign anyway. And he gives him a sign that says, listen, let me reveal to you what true, non-manufactured, you have nothing to do with this. Let me give you a, a, a picture, a sign of what true, lasting hope is going to look like. And so in chapter 7, here's what he says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God says, you want a sign that hopelessness will end? You want a sign that you can trust in me? You want a sign that says hope is coming? He says there's going to be someone born of a virgin who is going to break through Ahaz, your pain. There's going to be someone born of a virgin who's going to break through your disarray, your brokenness, your darkness, your division, and he's, give, he's going to give you hope. But Ahaz, I need you for a minute to just hold on. I need you to trust that I am with you and I am for you. Guys, even in the name that he gives is a little subtle hint, and, and, and he would have immediately known. He says, and we're going to call him Emmanuel. For those that don't know, that translates God with us. God is going to not just act on behalf, he sins on behalf himself. And he says, Ahaz, this is what's ultimately going to deliver you and your people. God says, I am sending, better yet, I am coming. I'm going to come in the flesh to break through this darkness. It's going to be everything you want and everything you need. We see this unfold as we get to chapter 9 where Isaiah really unfolds the promise of hope. He says, listen, I told you what to look for, but let me tell you what's coming with it. I know you're still, on, you're still teetering Ahaz, but let me tell you what's coming alongside of this. There is a promise to all generations. You go, how's this child going to come in and what's he going to bring with him? And then we get to the verse 6 that Chris read a second ago and listen to what he says. He says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's forever. It's eternal. 
Oh, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, let me translate that a different way, the, the relentlessness, the, the constant pursuing of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. If you rewind to verse 2, it says that this child's going to break through as light. And I love this because what Isaiah subtly reveals to Ahaz and what he subtly reveals to us is this. He brings with him everything you need. He is fully qualified. He is fully equipped. And this will mark the end of oppression and injustice and guilt and shame and restlessness and pain and isolation and brokenness. He will be like any king you've never seen. He's going to be unlike anything. He's not just going to rule from afar. He's not just going to sit on a throne and, and, and make an act on behalf. No, he's going to step in and for and among his people. Isaiah says, listen, hold on. Hope is coming. His name is Emmanuel. He says, and look what comes with him. Verse 6, he says, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. That means that he's going to be wise and discerning. He's going to be comforting in my moments of indecision or better yet, my poor decision. There's going to be someone comes alongside of you who's going to counsel you in those moments. He's going to give you rest in those moments. He's going to overcome those moments. He's going to instill with you through the spirit these wise, this wisdom that is beyond you. He is going to, 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 to act as your comforter. And then he goes on to say he's also going to be a mighty God. That Listen, with him comes power and authority. Power to overcome addiction. Power to overcome your bad relationships that are faulty. Powerful enough to overcome ourselves and the messes that we're going to make. He comes with power, full power and authority. He says he's going to be an everlasting father in a world where things come and go and they fade as quickly out as they fade in. He says, listen, he is everlasting and he's a father. And I know for some of us that's shaky terms and shaky ground, but he says, no, he's going to be a father in the true sense of a father, meaning that he's going to be tenderhearted. He's a listener. He's a comforter. He is compassionate. He's a father that does not choose favorites. He says no one is going to get overlooked in this. No one is ever going to get counted out in this. No one's going to get discounted in this. No one's going to go unnoticed. And there'll be times our earthly relationships, mothers, fathers, extended family, friends, are going to un they're not going to notice. But he says no, he is an everlasting father that's fully invested. He's going to be with you every single moment of every single move. He says he's going to be a prince of peace. In a world full of war and evil and violence, he says he's going to bring with him. And he's going to rule with this sense of peace. Verse 7, he says, listen, and he's looking to build a kingdom and a culture that's different than the kingdoms and cultures that will be built. He says his kingdom, his culture, his government will govern with what? Justice and righteousness, rightness. It's the moment where he's going to, to, to set everything upright on what is right. And as we enter into this season, can I, isn't that what we want? Aren't we all looking for counsel? Aren't we looking for authority to overcome something? 
Aren't we looking for, to be noticed and valued and loved? I mean, aren't we looking for peace? Aren't we looking for these moments where things are fair as they should be? They're right and they're just. Now Isaiah says, that's hope Isaiah, it has. Oh, it's not going to come in something you manufacture. It's going to come in the form of a child. And that's what Jesus brings. He brings counsel in the midst of chaos. He brings power in the midst of weaknesses. He brings compassion in the midst of apathy. He brings comfort in the midst of pain. He brings peace in the midst of struggle. He brings justice in place of revenge and unfair systematic failures. And he says he brings righteousness in the midst of wrongness, evil, and darkness. So guys, on December 2nd, I want you to know before we get into this, that's the Christmas story. That's the backdrop. That's the thrill of hope. And there's good news. It continues to be written in the hearts of people who believe it. It continues to be written in the hearts and the lives of those of us who surrender and attempt to walk by faith in Jesus. Not perfection. See, God at any moment never asked Ahaz to be perfect. He said, no, I just need you to hold on. Trust, believe, live into the confidence of my faithfulness. So as we kind of land this, I need you to remember that Isaiah is talking to two very different sides. He's talking to the hopeful, but he's also talking to the hopeless. And I love that he did this 750 years before this was ever going to come into re reality, but it was a message for that moment that was hold on. And so I don't know where you fit in these categories, but I'm telling you the message is the same. For those of us who find ourselves hopeful, for those of us who do, here's what I think God's saying to you today. He's saying, hold on. It's a slightly different hold on, though. It's not hold on and wait. It's hold on because this is going to be the most exhilarating ride of your life. It's like you better hold on because when you begin to live into this hope, things might get crazy and messy. So it causes me to stop and think if I found myself hopeful in the season, what's my responsibility in the season? What's my role in the season? And I pray that what happens over the next few weeks, because the world invites this for the next few weeks, it opens a door for this. I pray that we become glimmers of hope for others to see the person of hope. I pray that we become displays of hope that points to who Isaiah says is the person of hope. I pray that we speak and we act and the things that we speak about and into are the actions that we take are on behalf of those who cannot, for whatever reason, find it themselves at the moment. Don't just embrace hope. We become sharers of hope, distributors of hope. And then for those of us who aren't. I just want to tell you to hold on. And I can't promise you 
things will get better this afternoon. And I can't even promise you that things will get better by December 25th or next December 25th. But I can promise you that when God promises something, he always delivers. So maybe for you, it's beginning to get to know the child that Isaiah tells. For you, maybe overcoming hopelessness begins with you getting acquainted with, asking a question about, voicing those curiosities. But maybe for you, it just begins with getting to know Jesus. Maybe for you, it's reacquainting yourself with Jesus. That you've spent all this time trying to manufacture hope from these different places, and all along, the one who provides hope was in front of you. You even knew about him. But I didn't do a good job holding on. So in this season of chaos, I think also comes a season of curiosity. And what I hope is after the tree is back in the attic and everything turns back to what we dread and call normal, that hope lives on. That when I get to January and February, I'm still experiencing a thrill of hope. And we'll do this when we begin to live into, as Isaiah called Ahaz to live into, a confidence that is based on his faithfulness, based on things that he promises. Stand with me. We're going to enter into a time of response. You know, Sundays are not just about singing songs or listening to me talk or praying or any of those things. Sunday really is about anticipating God doing something in each of our lives, something that is unique and something that is specialized just for me. But all of those things, as great as they are and as, as great as these guys are, and as it'll do as I am, all those things push us or point us toward a response to the child we talked about, the child that goes on to give his life for us, to do some things for us that we absolutely could not do ourselves. He becomes our full justification. He becomes our full righteousness. He becomes our sanctification. He becomes all those words that simply mean this, that he did something that you and I could not do ourselves, and that is he made a way for us to be holy. Oh, we're going to sing songs, oh, holy night, and all these things, but it's the culmination of all these things, this life and this sacrifice that leads us to a place where we can be called holy. And so every week we take communion or we respond by going to these tables to saying, God, you are so good, you are so great. Or we come to the tables and go, I don't know what to do next. I want to fit into the hopeful category, but I don't. And all of those things are invited into this table. So it's a celebration and a remembrance of what God has done, but it's also a call or a place of comfort where we can go and say, God, I don't know what's next, but I want to remember this in this moment that your promises always come true. So I want to invite you into communion together today. You can do it with friends or family. There's tables all over the room. If you're not comfortable with it, that's fine as well. You can just stay seated, and these guys are going to continue to play. But coming around these tables, I want you to know something, that you are not only welcomed, you're invited. And I'm not the one doing the inviting. Jesus invites. So, Father, this morning as we enter into these tables, I pray that we step into not just the invitation of these tables, but the invitation of living lives that aren't free of struggle, that aren't free of tension, that aren't free of, of bad things or evil or darkness, but, God, that 
we live into these moments where we trust in the light that broke through those moments of darkness. So God, I pray today that these tables become a reminder of who you are, what you've promised, and your faithfulness to this point. God, there'll be people in this room that don't understand any of this, and that's okay. God, will you in their life at this moment, through your spirit, just begin to birth something in them, a a seed of curiosity? God, would you birth in them in this moment a, a seed of question? God, we will faithfully water we pray that you grow. For those of us who will come to this table tired and stressed out and hopeless at the moment, God, will you renew through a reminder of your faithfulness their hope? Will you begin today to restore their hope in who you are? And then for those of us who come hopeful, God, will you remind us of our responsibility, our role, our participation in sharing, making known the things that we will partake of, and that is Jesus' deep love for each of us. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables.